Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode where I, Tamara, interview everyday innovators from across the globe, all different industries, experiences, backgrounds, perspectives. I love it so much because great innovation, great thinking, that inspiration, those ahas don't happen by looking at the same box with the same people from the same perspective all the time. It actually happens at intersections of random where you meet and listen to people from a different background or a different industry or just a whole different thought pattern than you had. And I love it because that's really where those sparks fly. And we're going to have some of those today. So with that, let me tell you a little bit about how our guest today, our everyday innovator, how she innovates. And remember, how you innovate isn't just your everyday innovator style isn't just a beautiful label. This is your creative problem solving, decision making, strategic thinking. It's how you perform at your peak. It is how you get to that state of flow where all the magic kind of happens. So when I talk about it, think about it as a basis for all those things. So Tony, who's with me today, is a collaborative inquisitive. So collaborative is all about pulling disparate people and ideas and experiences together to create a picture, to create innovation. So it's like, you know, this conversation and this conversation come together to create innovation for collaboratives. And for inquisitives, it's all about digging deep, challenging assumptions, pulling back the layer. I always know inquisitives because every time I think I'm done, the inquisitive's like, I've got five more questions. But that's how they innovate, right? Innovations in the questions, not the answers. So the combination of collaborative inquisitive, the magic in that, is bringing together a whole deep innovation. So listen for that as Tony talks, listen in her, but also in yourself as well and how you might innovate. And if you don't know it already, if you haven't taken it, I want you to go go to our website, take the assessment. It takes five minutes of your time. It's like $12.99 or something like that. So no excuse, discover how you innovate. With that said, Tony, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and what you do. Well, thank you, Tamara, for, for having me be here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the, the invite. Um, I am Tony uh, Maria Shelton. I am a native of Denver, Colorado, East High School graduate. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I am the professional development manager uh, in the Office of Professional Development for the Facility Management Department for Denver Public Schools. Um, so that's a mouthful. Uh, so within facility management, we handle uh, all of the maintaining and cleaning and, and uh, collaboration and construction of schools. So we take care of all the facilities within the district. Wow. So for those who don't know, DPS, Denver Public School, it's a big district. So that's not just one or two schools in there. And go Angels, by the way, East High School. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So hey, can, I, can I ask you a quick question, Tony? Because sure. like schools have experienced massive change in the last couple of years, how have you seen that change play out when you think about your job or just how you as a group operate? 
Well, some of the changes that we've really seen from our end is really, you know, how we support the learning. So sustainability fronts. And so, you know, we have an office of sustainability that we've had um, in place for at least over the past five years. So that's been something that's been innovated for our department. And we're also looking at ways in which students learn. And so doing things like creating outdoor classrooms. Um, so those are some of the things that have impacted our department. Um, we have um, gardens, uh, so edible gardens that our, our, our kids are doing um, at some sites and things like that. And so we help support those types of things as well, as well as lighting, right? Lighting is really huge. And so we've gone um, to LEDs and things of that nature, you know, keeping up with industry trends as well as how do our students learn and, and making sure that their environment um, is enjoyable and comfortable to learn in. So. I love it. And so I just want to say there's a great insight in there that I want to pull out for all of us as we think about the jobs or the roles that we're in. When, when Tony, when you first said like how students learn, my immediate reaction was to go to changes in the classroom. And what I heard you say was gardens, outdoor, like you, you were talking about a lot of different things, but that that learning is not actually just in the classroom. So for all of us in the industries we're in, I would think about those things that are fundamental in our business. And if we need to expand how they're defined, right? So learning isn't just in the classroom, right? Tony said it. And maybe in our world, kind of what we do isn't just in the box that we normally put it in. So thank you for that. Like great insight out of the gate. What's a a recent win or something that you're proud of? I would say a recent win that I'm proud of is what we call, um, I call our professional development paths and our leadership bridge. And so within our department, uh, we have close just within our department, close to a little over 900 employees within our department. And so uh, we are a department of learning, um, everyone all the way up to the executive director. And so I created, you know, thinking about the needs of our department and how we're going to get everybody involved in learning. And I created for our central office teams what we call professional development paths. So what I did in collaborations with each of the managers, I took everybody's job description and collaboration with HR and took everybody's job description and from their job description, um, really looked at some of the tasks and, and, and things that they're required to do um, that they need to do within, within their role. And then matched training um, with that and created a path and, and broke it down into three different elements of professional, technical, and personal um, types of training and created a, a, a professional development path for every position um, within our department, including our executive director. Um, And then with that, I created the leadership bridge to match that. So because we promote from within a lot and wanted to ensure that as we promote individuals that we are preparing them first before they get into leadership instead of waiting until they get there. Right. Um, And then try to go in and, and teach them some of the skills that they need to have and the knowledge that they need to know. So the bridge in and itself gives them an opportunity, every employee an opportunity to experience those leadership type skills. And I built in a mentorship program. So they mentor with a someone in a leadership role before they get there. So they have a better understanding and are better prepared for when they do promote. You know, early on in my career, Tony, I was promoted to a managerial role um, because I was very, it was in consulting, but I was very good at my job, right? Of company product development. And then I got moved into a leadership role as a director, I think is what the title was back then. And I was paralyzed. Like I, I didn't, I didn't know what to, and I'm a people person, but I, I I'd never done leadership before. I was in my mid twenties. I was new, like, you know, I was so pan, so panicked about it. Um, and I, so I'd love to hear you say like, let's prepare people for leadership. Cause I think oftentimes 
the mistake that we make is, you know, like it's like a football player being great on the field, but they're not going to be a good coach, right? Just because they know their role on the field doesn't make them good at teaching others. Um, when you think about that part of your training, which is all very innovative and very meaningful, but that part in particular, are there certain skills or or modules that you have found have been really valuable and maybe even surprised you that, hey, this leadership skill, people really, they need it and it's helping them? Well, one of the things that when we teach leadership that we really help them to try to focus on is that you shift the mindset and helping them to understand it's not about you, but it's about the people and the leadership is always about the people. So that's been really a big eye opener for people is to recognize that in order to move the needle and be effective, you really have to put your team and your people first. Um, and humbling yourself is was, a, I think, something that was very difficult for people to kind of grasp at first um, when it came to leadership. And so I think that's been the biggest skill set is teaching people how to humble themselves a little bit and go into it, um, really focusing on others uh, before they focus on themselves. Isn't it fascinating because we're so focused on ourselves trying to do our job, right? And like shining in our job. And then you get to leadership and you shine if other people shine. Yes. And it, it, and it's not, I don't think that people are selfish and don't want that. I just don't think we're trained to understand how to do that. Yes, exactly. What is a story or a time where you had to think differently to solve a problem or just kind of move the needle? Well, during the pandemic, um, all the courses that we had were in classroom. So um, instructor led. And so we had to really quickly think about, okay, we can't be in the classroom. So now how are we going to do the training that we normally do and still, you know, still be relevant? So we, I quickly had to figure out, um, we then had to create all of our classes and make them hybrid classes. And so we had to put them online. And so, you know, getting my team, you know, they were just so wonderful. They were fantastic and wanting to actually learn something new. And so they had to learn a new technology in order to be able to put the classes online. And so that was really great. That was a challenge. And so I was very fortunate enough to report to um, someone, my, my direct uh, manager, who's the executive director of our department, um, was very supportive in that aspect and whatever we needed, uh, doesn't hesitate to, to provide or support. And my team was incredible. So that was a challenge that we had to um, overcome and, and you know, we limited time frame and was able to make it happen. I want to dig deeper into that example because it's such a good one, Tony, because I'm, not, I'm in the Denver Public School District, right? I've got a kid that goes to McCullough, which has been wonderful, right? My older went to McCullough too. Yeah, I know. I love it over there. And um, one of the things that I think a little bit shocked me, but also impressed me was how quickly DPS shifted to online and trying to figure it out. And I would say that, you know, some of it went better than expected of it expected some of it didn't right that's the that's the reality with all change but it's a to me from an outside looking in was a great example of when we have to we innovate right when we have to we change like all these things that we said we could never do would take us years right we did overnight yes um and i'd, I'd love to hear a little more about what that experience was like from your perspective because i think schools across the country um really experienced it in a way that a lot of us didn't because all right so for my work I could just jump on zoom have a meeting send an email but you know what I was already doing that like not a big deal change for me kids went from in the classroom to at home huge right huge for everybody so will you just dig a little bit deeper into kind of what that experience was like of and now we're changing and now we're changing yeah you know it it it, it was a uh... 
it was an instant process. And I, I tell you, if it had not been for, at the time, the leadership of our superintendent and the mass amount of communication, I think was really, was really critical and was really key. Um, and making sure that, hey, let us know what you need. Tell us what you need and how you need it. And then let's make it happen, right? We, we will get the funding. Don't worry about the funding. We will make it happen because this needs to happen. And so for a moment, there was a, a measure of, of, of fear of stepping into the unknown because nobody knew about this, right? But when you have at the, the head of your leadership who is speaking the same language as you, right? Who is saying, hey, this is unknown for me too, right? I don't know what we're stepping into. And from that perspective, I think it really helped district-wide. And then you, you funnel that down to your students and you, you begin to talk to your students. And so communication was key, communicating with the parents, um, the superintendent sending out notifications to the parents. Here's how this is going to happen. Here's some things that we're still looking at. Here's some things that we're still trying to figure out. And I think when you have that type of communication saying, we're still figuring out some things, right? Um, we're good at education, but this is something that caught us off guard and, and around the nation caught everybody off guard. And so we're, we're doing our best and we are working as fast as we can. And so I think that put a lot of people a little bit at ease and was able to let people just take a breath and say, okay, let's just jump in and make this happen. But yeah, I think that is such an important lesson in, I think, both transparency and vulnerability and that um, you, you have to communicate more and be even more transparent when you're dealing with change no matter what that change is. Um, but also the vulnerability side of like, it's actually okay to say, we don't, we're going to try this. We don't really know this is new to us too. So bear with us a little bit. I think people are way more likely. I mean, I think we all want each other to succeed at the end of the day. That's mostly the case. So if you admit to me, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try this out. Like I'm way more willing, not just to give you leeway, but to be along for the journey with you. And I think we forget that about people. And I want to throw in one other just thing for all of us to remember, because I think the schools really were really, I saw this in, a, in kind of a really um, um, hyper way. You know, we talk about, we can't do this. We'll never do this. That can't happen. This can't happen. And then it turns out in 2020, we all made shit happen. We never thought we would. And I think it's a great example that like, hey, all those can'ts, shouldn'ts, don'ts don't have to exist, right? They're really kind of barriers that we put on ourselves. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors steak, 
bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So let me flip it for a second, just talking about barriers. What's an obstacle you have faced and how have you overcome it? An obstacle that I have faced and overcome. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's been quite a few. Uh, I think part of is really getting to the point to where your team trusts you um, to the extent that they, you know, are willing to move forward and tackle any task. And so really getting to the point of, like you said, that transparency. And I think that a lot of times that, that that's missing in leadership is to when you truly become transparent and, and let your team know, hey, look, I'm not perfect. Here is where I'm at. Here is what I'm willing to do. Um, here is what I think. I also want your input as well. And recognizing and truly helping your team to understand how you make decisions. They know that you have the, the decision-making authority, but helping them to understand how you make decisions and what you consider when you do make decisions. And so letting them know that I do want your input, but yet letting them know that sometimes I will need to make a decision without your input. And even though you've given me input, right? So um, understand this is, these are the things that I'm looking at and here's some things that I'm taking into consideration. And so in doing that and helping them to understand how I make decisions and, and that began to build that level of trust. And, um, and it showed, I guess, the integrity of it. And so they be, really began to trust me. And that was a challenge to overcome is to really, really build that trust. Sometimes we just think it's automatic because you're the boss, but that, that's not necessarily true. Yeah. <laughs> Not true at all, it turns out, actually. <laughs> you know, what I appreciate about what you said is I always say that people don't need to be right, but they need to be valued. They need to feel valued and need to feel heard. And I think we, all, we often think people need to be right, but that's actually not what I have found. We, can you share an example of, like, when you say, as you know, share how you make decisions, kind of what that, how that really plays out in, in real life? So I think that's really important advice. I don't want that to get glossed over for people. Mm-hmm. So in, in how to make decisions, you know, you, you think of, first of all, your employees and how it's going to impact them if you have stakeholders, right, and how it's going to impact them. And then I have to think of my own boss, right, and the conversations that I need to have with my boss about the decisions that I make if it's going to impact um, the department or the organization. And so in taking all of those things into consideration, if you are responsible for a budget, then you have to consider those things as part of your decision-making. Is this going to impact budget? And if so, how is it going to impact the budget? Is it going to impact my coworkers or my colleagues, those individuals that I collaborate closely with? And if so, and so 
like for me, I'm head of training and anytime a class is canceled, right? I have to think about before I make that call to cancel a course, who is this going to impact? And then I have to reschedule it. And then of course, if we reschedule it, what is that impact going to be? And then I got to communicate with instructors and all of those types of things and the people that hold those classes and the space itself, right? Is the, the space going to be available if we you know, reschedule and things of that nature? So all of those things come into play um, when you make a decision. So I really lo- I love how you ask yourself questions, by the way, that's the inquisitive side of like, how do I do this? What if I do that? So I always know it's inquisitive because they talk to themselves and questions too. Uh, and what I heard you say, kind of loop it back to the beginning of this conversation of this part is, um, then you communicate that back to the people, right, who are impacted by it of like, hey, here's why, it's really the why behind it. Here's why we're doing this and how we're doing this and why I came to this decision point, not just, and we're, we're redoing this class. Um, and so it's important to come back and, and loop around and, and help them to understand because for me, it's not just my employees. I want to grow them. And I want to be able to grow them to, to, to be able to make decisions on their own in their respective areas as well. And so if, if I'm showing them and demonstrating to them how to make decisions and the things that you want to consider when you do make decisions, you know, that's part of that bridging them to leadership, right? Um, one day I want you to be either where I'm at or, you know, in another leadership role so that it's all part of that. It's all part of that, that coaching aspect of you got to come full circle and bring it back to your team and help them to understand. You just really made me think about the fact that I need to do a better job of not just telling my team why I made the decision I made. I'm really good at that because I think it's important that they understand that I heard their input, right? And I considered it and I've got these other pieces I have to consider and put together. And here's why we're doing what we're doing. What I think maybe I haven't done a good a, a good job of is here's how I came to this decision um, to help them and their critical thinking skills too. So thank you for that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working on that this week. Um, what motivates you to do your best or like to get up in the work and be like, get up in the day and just like, go do your best at work, at life, whatever. Like what's the underlying driver there for you? Uh, It's several things, honestly, that comes together. You know, my faith, number one, and, you know, just, just thankful to be able to be in a job and in an environment that I like, I like what I do. I think it really starts there. Um, You have to kind of like your work. (laughs) And then I have a great relationship with my boss and then a great relationship with my employees. So those things um, culminate into that just encourages you to get up and want to do your best. You know, when you have employees that um, are just 100 percent behind you and and support you, you really want to demonstrate for them. You want to show up for them and, and be there and be that support for them and demonstrate, you know, that aspect of innovating and constantly creating and, and being at your best. And then, of course, um, when you have, you know, a boss that provides you ultimate support and guidance and is always accessible to you and, and, and never hesitates, then again, you want to just elevate your performance and, you know, make the most of, of who you are as an individual and then the work that you do. What advice do you have for pe- who everyday innovators who are listening and thinking, I'm so jealous, Tony. I want a great boss and a great team, but my boss and I aren't really getting along or my team feels a little toxic or, you know, fill in the blank. What advice do you have for them to help them work towards what you just said? Well, first thing first, you know, it's, it's okay to be afraid, simply be courageous. And having courageous conversations is one of the toughest things to do. And you, you want to understand what you want your outcome to be. 
You know, do you want a better relationship with your with your boss or do you want a better job? You really want to ask yourself the difference between the two. If you're not even happy with your job, then the relationship with your boss really is not going to make much of a difference in that regard. You just want to, you need to be happy in the work that you do, first of all. And then you start there and then you start trying to figure out the better relationship with your boss, you know, and, and just maintain an innovative mindset and, and recognize that I may not be innovative every day or every moment of every day, but I have an innovative mindset and that is what will carry you through and keep you encouraged. Describe what that innovative mindset looks like for you. Um, it's always being willing to to just think outside the box, you know, consider things that we don't have to do things the way we've always done things. You know, that is, I guess, one of my my, my pet peeves. And I hear people say, well, we've always done it this way. It's like, oh, my God, no, um, <laughs> I don't like to hear that. <laughs> and so you have to be willing to to challenge your own mindset into a growth mindset and, and be willing um, to, to even say, I don't care if I've done it this way for the past five years. I want to try and do it a different way and, and give yourself permission to do that and give your team permission to do that um, because you have to, that's the only way that innovation is going to happen is you got to give yourself permission to think about doing things differently um, no matter what. Even if it's a different route you take to work every day, you can start with something as simple as that. Um, you Yes, you'll run into different kind of traffic, but you'll also have a different scenery as well. So that might innovate you. That might, yeah, encourage I you. I love that analogy. Like, you're right. The different scenery, different traffic, different obstacles, which will flex your brain in a different way, but also different benefits, right? So yes. you never know. And I'm also a big believer that, you know, the... We need to warm up our innovative mind. It's not technically a muscle, but it kind of works that way. So doing little things like changing where you have your usual lunch or how, you know, how you get to work or where you set up, how you set up your desk, those little things give you more courage in the places where you need them. They're safe, but they, they help you build that muscle and help you practice. So I, I really like that. Um, what advice do you have as a collaborative inquisitive? For other everyday innovators out there of all types who are looking to really push things forward the way you have. You really have to get to know yourself, really and truly. Know who you are and understand what your own triggers are. So when you figure that out, I think it helps you to overcome um, some of some challenges and some obstacles that you face. If you are not a morning person, you need to know that about yourself, that I'm not a morning person. And you, you need to ask yourself, why? Why am I not a morning person? What keeps me from being a morning person? What is that all about? And some people don't get started until they have their cup of coffee, right? And so if that's what you need, then you need to admit that to yourself um, and then say that to others. I think sometimes we just need to say it out loud and then you need to say it to other people. And then those things that you want to change um, or, or redefine or reimagine about yourself, share that with other people and then ask them to hold you accountable. To that. Um, hey, if you see me doing this thing, if you see me, if you hear me saying this thing, you know, tap me and let me know. And, and I think those are some of the ways that people can maintain and be encouraged about being innovative and, and having that inquisitive mindset. I love this. Will you share kind of a, tr you said you need to know what triggers you, like will you share one of your triggers and maybe a place where you have said, I'm going to, I'm going to reimagine what I'm about over here and ask somebody else to hold you accountable for. 
Well, I learned one of my triggers, what I thought was one of my triggers was traffic, right? Um, when I'm fussing at traffic and I'm like, oh God, people can't drive, what is going on? Um, just move out of the way, right? And I would think traffic was my trigger. What I learned about myself is that it wasn't traffic that was my trigger. It was me being late. I was running behind and I was running late. And so when I got into traffic, now I'm rushing. And so now I'm expecting traffic <laughs> to move to rush with you. Yes. <laughs> and then I realized that that was my trigger. <laughs> and so understanding my trigger helped me to overcome that and really um, put myself more at ease and at patience with myself. And then reimagining myself um, really just comes from my spirituality is, is just, you know, being thankful and grateful, understanding that you just have to appreciate the moment that you're in and appreciate where you are in life and that you've made it this far. And that helps you to begin to reimagine who you are as an individual and, you know, having others hold you accountable to that, you know, here's the person that I want to be. And then let people know that. And then having those people that you trust within your circle to hold you accountable to that. So I'm going to tell you, you're speaking my language on the traffic. So <laughs> here's my deal. I don't, I, I really stress out about being late. I'm not okay being late. And uh, like, I, I, I'm like, if you're not five minutes early, you're a late person. Uh -huh. And that's how I, that's what I believe. So anyone who's having a meeting with me knows like, do not show up late. But here's the thing. Um, I'd get in traffic and I would panic because the traffic turns out doesn't care that I am going to be late to my meeting, right? They're probably all panicked about the same thing. And so I had to have a little bit of a conversation with myself of like, what am I doing? I'm starting every morning stressed out in traffic. And so I adjusted my routine and as ridiculous as it sounds, like if I'm meeting across town, let's say it's at nine, I will plan my day to get there at 8.30 because I would rather sit in my car, do my emails, check some stuff, but have that peace of mind yes. than be panicked and like right up on time. When I go to the airport, I'm there with enough time to have a whole meal because I, the panic of it isn't worth it to me. Um, and, and yeah, so I think it's interesting, but, but to your point, what I really loved about your story is it wasn't actually the traffic that was setting you off. And that's the conversation I had to have with myself too. Like, it's actually not traffic I have a problem with. It's actually, I'm, 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 I'm going to be late and I have no control to change the situation once I get in my car. Yes. I love that. Thank you for that. Tony, this has been absolutely amazing. Like such a wealth of great insights. I really, I took some things away that I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to think about the other triggers and places where maybe... I'm blaming or thinking my trigger is this, but if I actually went down to the root cause, it might be something else. Cause I, I can never solve traffic. I think that's why those things that trigger us never get solved is because we're actually playing here, right? When the real problem is down here. So thank you for kind of such an inquisitive of you. Thank you for uncovering that for me. Um, so much greatness. I've got one last personal question for you, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? Uh, that I play the drums. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Any particular type of music or like, how does that work? Um, I, yeah, I, um, um, I'm recently in the process of purchasing a whole new drum set and um, I started in the fifth grade and um, oh. I, yeah, I got away from it for a little while, but then got back to it. And so, yeah, that's just a, um, a way to kind of relieve your, your, your stress and get back into your creativity. One of my kiddos plays the drums and there's nothing he loves more than going out to the garage and, you know, he's playing stuff, but like, as he says, like, I just love to bang on the drums. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, that's so great. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's, I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much, Tamara, again, for the invite. And I appreciate everything that you do. And thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, I'm happy to share it. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.